Kuwait is liberated. Iraq's army is defeated. Our military objectives are met. Tonight, the Kuwaiti flag once again flies above the capital of a free and sovereign nation. And the American flag flies above our embassy. And soon, we will open wide our arms to welcome back home to America our magnificent fighting forces. I am pleased to announce that at midnight tonight, Eastern Standard Time, exactly 100 hours since ground operations commenced and six weeks since the start of Operation Desert Storm, all United States and coalition forces will suspend offensive combat operations. Ah, yes, the ceasefire announcement, which we heard on Armed Forces Radio. That speech went on for about seven minutes. To this very day, I've never heard all of it, because as soon as he said suspend offensive combat operations, uh, we went nuts. I mean, a, a scene like that only happens once in a lifetime, and candidly, it hasn't happened since February 28th. 1991, the last time America definitively won a war, and I was there, and I experienced it. And so welcome to Thunder and Lightning, Operation Desert Storm. I've got a pretty good vocabulary, and I don't have the means to tell you a lot of the stuff that I have to tell you today, the good and the bad. Well, we hear the announcement, and it's just pandemonium. And I know that We Are the Champions was not released in 1991, but it's what we started singing. We all knew that song. We all, you know, you know, grabbing arms. Again, there's no alcohol in, in Saudi Arabia. So it was bottled water, you know, poured on one another's heads. And just like I said, a scene that is, it's just impossible to describe and, and the feelings of elation and happiness and satisfaction, and in my case, just a tremendous amount of pride because I had been so outspoken about how this is exactly what was going to happen. Going back to that first letter to the editor I wrote as a three-year veteran of the American military starting school at San Antonio College and a college professor is saying, hey, we can't, this army of young kids cannot win a war against Iraq. You shouldn't even try. And writing that letter to say, you have absolutely no idea just how good the American military has become. And this thing is going to be over so fast. And of course, the ground war, four days, 100 hours, and it's over. All right. Well, uh, join me, if you will, in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Uh, there is this just outpouring of elation, but the war's not exactly over yet. It wasn't like on February 28th, we all went home. We all still had our duties to do. And so on this episode, I want to talk about, you know, now that I've told you what it's like, or tried to tell you what it's like to experience the, the ceasefire and know that the war we hoped was over. In that speech, President Bush goes on to say that, hey, it's up to Iraq now, any monkey business. And we'll, we'll go right back on the offensive if we have to. And there were a few little pitched battles after the ceasefire, but for the most part, the war is over. If you haven't listened to previous episodes, I'm assigned to the 217th Evacuation Hospital as part of the 3rd Army Group there in Saudi Arabia with the United States Army. 
And when I'm not on guard duty on top of our building in Eskon Village in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, I have this detail where I'm providing security for two of the Air Force officers from the from the Saudi Arabian Air Academy there in Riyadh, and we're driving around and seeing things. Well, they, in in the days after the ceasefire, like everybody else, is very curious about this place that came to be known as the Highway of Death. And for these two Saudi officers, the, the driver who talked to me, the passenger who never said one single word to me, they're Air Force guys. They, they wanted to see what this precision bombing looked like up close. And I guess there was a little bit of morbid curiosity about it. And so by way of Humvee and some trucks, and, and it wasn't a Black Hawk helicopter, it was an, an old Vietnam era Huey helicopter. I, I believe it was a Saudi helicopter. We went up to uh, the highway leading out of Kuwait. As the war ends, the Iraqis do their best to get out of Kuwait and back into Iraq before this big left hook of the Americans sweeping across the Iraqi desert captures every single one of them in place. And this is the desert. There's only a couple of roads out of Kuwait City. And the Navy catches the Iraqis leaving Kuwait City at night and drops two, I think it was two 500-pound bombs at the front of the convoy and at the rear of the convoy, and then it's just open season on everything and everybody in between. And it was scenes from the highway of death that led to what many people, myself included, think was a premature end to that war. A 100-hour war wouldn't have been that much different than a 150-hour war that would have accomplished everything. But to be fair, um, we had achieved the objectives that we'd agreed to with the United Nations, which was to liberate Kuwait, not completely decimate every single Iraqi soldier on the battlefield who refused to surrender. And so as the Iraqis are leaving Kuwait City, it's important to remember that Kuwait is this tiny little country that none of us had ever heard of before August 2nd, 1990. Even somebody like me who was fascinated with world geography and had globes and a map of the world uh, in my bedroom growing up as a child always enjoyed that kind of thing. I'd never heard of Kuwait. And so Kuwait is this tiny country that owns 10% of the oil reserves. It is a country of millionaires. It is a country of wealthy people. And the Iraqis, who are not typically wealthy, especially if they're serving in the, you know, army, they're trying to take every single thing that isn't tied down back to Iraq with them. Civilian cars, furniture, you name it. Well, when we get out to the to the highway, you know, we land and we, we've been told, you know, don't pick up anything. Be careful where you step. There could be some uh, unexploded submunitions. A lot of the weapons that were used on the highway of death, there are these bombs that as they get close to the ground, the, the casing opens up and it just rains basically little hand grenades, little, you know, softball sized bomblets 
all over the place and it's absolutely devastating on on people and especially things that are not necessarily military vehicles the iraqis are trying to steal every mercedes-benz and toyota forerunner that they can get their hands on and so while these submunitions would have done terrible damage to military vehicles what they do to civilian vehicles is not a pleasant thing to have to describe and uh, what we saw that day was was just you know i don't know if the iraqis never fully understood just how accurate these laser guided bombs could be or maybe they thought in retreat uh, we would not hit them i don't know why they thought that and when when uh, general schwarzkopf gave his famous mother of all press conferences he said hey there was a lot of military hardware on that highway. That's why we bombed them. And I'm sure there was. I didn't see any. And I'm not calling into question what we did there. But but what I saw, I always I always think about it this way. It looked like somebody, a lot of the a, a bunch of people had attended the world's biggest flea market or the world's biggest upsale, upscale garage sale. And they were leaving, going back home with all of their stuff. Um, the things that I saw on the highway, these civilian cars just peppered with um, fragments and people frozen in place behind the wheel and in the back seat, and the people that got out and tried to to get away from the highway and away from where the bombing was occurring, the the, the, the trucks and the people are going off in all directions and you know you you see things that you just don't expect to see dollhouses and stuffed animals and soccer balls and just the everyday things picture frames cleaning equipment furniture lamps and you just get a sense of you know people in in poverty having a chance to get all this great stuff and to get home with it and that's that's just not what happens. It was um, it, it was a massacre. There's no other word for it, and and it went a long way to ending that war. Colin Powell would go on to say that he felt it was unchivalrous to continue fighting an army that simply couldn't fight back and had shown no interest in fighting the Americans up close and personal, with a few notable exceptions. And so uh, when I came home from the tour of the the highway of death, uh, on the way back into Riyadh, we went over to a place, I think it was being run by the Qataris, who were in charge of some of the, a lot of the prisoners of war. We had lots and lots of prisoners of war that were making their way down to Riyadh. And this was my first time coming face to face with the, with the Iraqi soldiers and as i mentioned we didn't have any real animus towards the guys that gave up and surrendered our issue was with, was with saddam hussein we blamed him for being uprooted from our lives back home and being dragged to this moonscape of saudi arabia and these ungrateful saudi arabian people that were our quote unquote hosts and so um, just before i left to go on the tour of the highway of death i had the most shocking and horrifying experience of the entire war um, i'd gone by our little uh, px there in escon village only to find out that they were sold out of m&ms which was a big deal to me and so i had to content myself with a pocket full of twix bars by the time i get back to this to riyadh 
and we're in this uh, prison of war facility, uh, I walk up and there are some Iraqi soldiers there. And after some conversation, one of them walks over to me. And there's just no other word for it. You can look at someone and tell, I guess the word we used to use is they're shattered, they're broken, just uh, sunken eyes. And, and someone who's just been through more than any real you know, human being can really stand and he sort of made the universal sign i just did it with my hands like he's putting his hands up to his mouth like do you have anything to eat and i didn't have anything but one last thing of twix so i reached into my cargo pocket and i pulled out the twix bar and i handed it to him and he opened it and if you're familiar with the twix bars it's two chocolate bars inside one package and i'll never forget he took out one immediately started eating it and offered me the other one back and of course, I was like, no, no, you're okay. I, I've got food where I'm going. It's, you know, I'm putting my hands up like, no, no, it's okay. And so that was my sole interaction with uh, an Iraqi POW. And it was very disheartening to see, to see a man who had agreed to, you know, serve in the army much as I had, uh, to be just, just broken down and beaten down like that. And, and that was the last time I saw the, the Saudi guys that I rode around with. Uh, during that part of my detail in the war. The driver, who was usually very talkative and um, always, always giving me an earful about his contempt for Western ways and Christian ways and American ways and all the faults of, of this country, America, that had to come save Saudi Arabia. And of course, this, the passenger who never said one single word to me because I was the help, basically, and he didn't talk to the help, and so I never saw I never saw those guys again. I went back to uh, Escon Village, and I think it was actually the day of the ceasefire where we heard about this unfortunate, terrible situation. You know, the night before the war ends, Iraq fires one last Scud missile into Dahran, and against all odds, it hits a building that's housing a unit of the Pennsylvania National Guard and kills twenty-eight Americans. And the war ends, you know, a few hours later. And so that was some very, very bad news. And, uh, you know, and it just made us, you know, think more about, you know, getting ready to go home. And um, we started preparing to go home. There was all kinds of rumors. We're going to get left there for a year. We're going to be cleaning up after the war for two years. And and then we finally heard that no, uh, Ramadan is coming up. The Saudis want everybody out you know thank you for coming it's time to go and we were all too happy happy to get to get out of there and so it is a it is a great time um it was a time where we were able to finally kind of relax a little bit and and start thinking about life after this experience and to be so grateful that it had only taken six weeks and we all expected to be back very, very soon. And it was around this time that we started hearing a song on Armed Forces Radio uh, by an artist that I would later learn is named Olita Adams. And this song kind of became the official we're coming home, can't wait to be there song of, of Desert Storm. And so in the next episode, I'm going to talk
talk about the what it all meant. You know, did we end the war too soon? What what was the historical, political implications of Operation Desert Storm in 1991? And then the final episode, I'm going to tell you about just what a rapturous moment it was to finally, finally, finally come home and and just experience a life in in a world without uh, what ended up being a very necessary war and a very and a very just war for where it occurred in our American and world history but there are so many ramifications from the Gulf War uh, Desert Storm 1991 that we're still dealing with even today 30 years later and some of it regrettably and again it's easy to look back with the with the clear the clear vision of hindsight looking back 30 years later but I'll talk about that as honestly as I can in the next episode but as I mentioned Mike Alonzo John Moya who I have not talked enough about just because of the constraints of time. The things that I've talked to you about, the Battle of Kafji, some of the experiences I had during the war make up 5% of my time in country. 95% of the time was boredom and tedium and uncertainty. And Mike Alonzo and John Moya made that time bearable. And there just hasn't been enough time to talk about John Moya, who was an absolute true friend and and wonderful guy to serve in that war with. And I know Mike feels the same way. But as I said, now our attention turned to coming home. And so in the next episode, talk about the ramifications. And in the final episode, returning to the United States, back to Kelly Air Force Base, where it all started. And so we got two episodes left on Thunder and Lightning, Operation Desert Storm. And until next episode, we'll talk to you soon. You can reach me by railway. You can reach me by railway. You can reach me with your mind You can reach me by caravan Cross the desert like an airman I don't care